2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Punch It, episode 23. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and with me as always is...
1: Uh, well, I mean, always, Char. It's Philip Gelfus.
2: <laughs> That's why I ended with the is... Because, yes, this familiar face is not the face I usually see every single week when I record. However, Tristan, unfortunately, had to take a bye this week, but you were able to step in, which is fantastic because we did a Punch It before on Babylon 5 as a primer to what is going to become our series of filibusters on the show season by season. Our first season breakdown just was released last week, and we are continuing our rewatch. And I thought, you know what? Let's continue this Babylon 5 kick, Gilfus, and let's write something, Babylon 5, since Tristan will never, ever do this with me. Be my buddy, Philip. And you said, okay.
1: That's right. I'm always prepared to be the nerd parties. Poor man's Tristan Riddell. Um, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> and I think in honor of this this uh, attempt at Babylon 5 writing, I believe just for this episode we're renaming the show Jump It.
2: That's right. Jump Gate Opening. Mhm. Yep. Yeah. And lest we forget, Tristan is I think he still has this title, the International Sex Symbol.
1: Right. Yes, the ISS. It
2: is a carryover from Trek FM. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, if you have to be the stand in for that, that speaks highly of you, sir. Wear that with pride.
1: I'm literally the stand-in. They do the lighting and then I step away and then the ISS comes in to do all the real filming. So But but hey, it's it's a job and and I'm glad to have it here on the network. It's so. a gig,
2: it pays the bills. Right. right. <laughs> Just like real life. That's right. <laughs> ah. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do something fairly typical to this show, but with a little bit of a twist. You and I are going to write some Babylon 5, but we might not necessarily write a full episode or even really a short story. We're going to actually riff on maybe a couple of ideas that we have, and maybe these are things that maybe aren't big enough to be full episodes. But little stolen moments, missing things that we maybe wanted to happen or know happened that just didn't make it on screen. But wouldn't it be interesting to maybe say read a short story about it, or to have a little webisode, as you said, off air, Gilfus? Yeah. And uh, I just I'm enamored with this idea because there's so many little moments as we're going through a rewatch that come to mind just almost immediately. And so let's dig in. Let's explore this. Let's go. What is on your mind, sir? I'm dying to know.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think looking at the whiteboard, which I'm, wow, yeah, thanks for cleaning it already.
2: Oh, yeah, no problem.
1: But but I think with Babylon 5, there's so many places you can go, obviously. Though it's also, to me, an intimidating endeavor to attempt to write Babylon 5. Yeah. It being such an epic and, you know, J.M.S., J. Michael Straczynski's... Um, opus um and so it's it's like gosh you know what do you do do you try to tie in elements do you try to you know what season are you in what what characters whatever and so I have a couple of approaches that I've done and so I'll just tell you my first approach in sort of the episode, uh if you will category and I, I know recently y'all have often been talking about Arrested Development yes and talking about the se- season four we dare not speak of but of course,
2: <laughs> yes, indeed, that's true. One of the
1: challenges with that Arrested Development is, of course, they couldn't get people at the same place at the same time, and so a lot of these webisode ideas for Babylon Five involves kind of like that—a lot of character moments, main character or even secondary character moments, where they were sort of out on their own. Oh, okay. So maybe that'd be a good episode right? Because you only need one or two main actors or main characters. So, mm-hmm. so I have a few things that we know happened. But we never necessarily got to see. I don't know if you want me to go one by one or just name them all. But here's, here's I'll throw my, my first one and you'll see where I'm just
2: going. Just start with one. Hit me.
1: Sure. All right. Veer, when he was the ambassador to Membar.
2: Ooh. Yes. We never really got to see anything about this. We heard actually very little right. about this. Like, it was just, oh, it's fine. No, no, no. Something had to have gone down here. Really.
1: Right. And for those who don't remember, so this and this actually, I say that, I don't think I remember. Um, My (laughs) seasons are blending. I'm doing a rewatch, so my mind's totally, like, flushed of what's gone on that I haven't seen yet. So I know at some point, either three or four, season three or four, um, Londo sort of, quote-unquote, promoted Veer. And and I think the underlying reason was just to get rid of Veer so Londo could go down his dark path alone. But anyway. Pretty much. But he, quote-unquote, promoted Veer. I don't know if he got full ambassador status, but close to it, to be the Centauri's representative to uh, the Membari, And so Veer disappeared. And then when he came back, it was sort of revealed that he had been using that position to take in Narn refugees. Right. And so basically he got fired and demoted to back to being Londo's at- attache, where he sort of belonged. Um, but anyway, so that was sort of all we got. <laughs>
2: it's where he was needed most, to be quite honest. Right.
1: I believe Londo's like, you're not the first to go native, you know? And and so that was sort of a, a thing that went on there. But so, yeah, yeah. Because Virkoto, you know, someone who I, I think is actually a very interesting character. I mean, I don't think anyone would say he's not. But I think he's a lot that I could focus on a lot if, like, we were just doing an episode um, like I would mm-hmm. want to just focus on Veer, but Veer and Minbar because he you know, he's not necessarily the most confident person, but he is. He is and he isn't.
2: Well, he gains confidence as the seasons go by. I mean I he starts off kind of uptight and nervous all the time, like, oh what now? But then later on, he kinda comes into his own and he does gain some confidence.
1: Maybe we should just go ahead and give this disclaimer before we go too far. Unlike our filibuster series, I think this is going to be completely full of chock full of spoilers about Babylon 5.
2: Oh, yeah, I think that's just kind of a given anymore on the show. We always say, oh, caution, spoilers, but really, like, I don't know. If you're going to listen to a podcast about anything on any network, be aware. There's probably going to be spoilers. It's very hard to speak generally. <laughs> you're bound to give something away. So, yeah, spoilers.
1: But but yeah, so I mean, like you have a Veer, like even before, even season two, where both of us are around, uh, when he stands up, stands up's the wrong word, but when he faces the techno mages, mm-hmm. we have a Veer who's scared, but he doesn't leave. Right. So he's he's a he's a he's not a flight, he's a fighter. But then you know you go t- to the future where he kills Emperor Cartaja, you know, and so this is the spectrum yeah. of Veer. So but we're in between those two points when he's on Minbar, and so, do you think that would be an interesting? Episode or, or cause I, I feel like Minbari, and I, and I know it's Philip, he's always going to talk Star Trek. I think Minbari are often <laughs> the Vulcans of Babylon 5 that they're not that exciting. I mean, they are, but they're not.
2: Well, I mean, they're so busy conducting rituals mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature and carving their bones, or at least the women anyway. What I'm most interested in with this idea is how does Veer react to being on Minbar? and interacting with Minbari and what does that look like because like you said these are maybe not the most colorful of people they're very subdued they're uh I mean unless they're at war or maybe going to start a war (laughs) with the humans and uh want to kill everybody and show no mercy they don't get overly emotional like they do but they don't like I I don't know Delenn has interesting periods just focusing on her for just a sec where she can be extraordinarily emotional and you're not even completely sure why. And I'm thinking first season Delenn, okay? Right. Before she becomes half human. But then there's other times when she's very calm under pressure and you don't even really know what she's thinking. So if that is a gauge for Minbari, I don't know. That's actually a very good correlation to Vulcans then because the Vulcans repress their emotions and maybe the Minbari do a similar thing. It's just maybe they're not quite as good at it.
1: Right. And I think the interesting thing about Veer on Minbar is often Veer is the, and I'm probably using the wrong words here, is the counter pull to Londo, who, and I'm not saying Londo yes. is necessarily the representative of Centauri values, but classical Centauri values. But Veer is the counter pull. So,
2: mm-hmm. That's a good way of putting it.
1: But when Veer's on Minbar, is he going to bring a Centauri approach to how to be, like, is he going to make mistakes about, like, oh, well, this is what we would do as Centauri, and oh, I'm sorry. Or is he going to be more of the viewer we know, or he's all understanding, and he's sort of like the Rom. I know, I'll get a Star Trek reference.
2: <laughs> I think it's going to be a little bit more of the latter where maybe the Minbari say they prepare a space for him, you know, wherever he's staying as the ambassador, and they say, hey, we've got Brevari... And we've got all these Centauri things for you. Do you find the accommodations acceptable? And he said, yes, And I, but I didn't expect you to do any of this. I mean, a Minbari quarters would have been just fine. And I was actually kind of curious to see what that would even be like.
1: And I'm going to throw out this idea. Yeah. In this episode. I know this is very cliche, but I'm going with it. Do it. What if he gets a love interest? Minbari, love interest.
2: Hmm. Do Minbari have six?
1: <laughs> well, you know, one is, and then <laughs> two, and then.
2: <laughs> and then by the time you get to five. <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> no, I don't think the Minbari do have six. Actually, I i want to counter your idea just a tiny bit, and maybe he sure. develops a crush on a Minbari. Ah. You know, I could see Veer doing more of the schoolboy of, oh, hee hee, I like you. And. It's kind of cute, maybe playful puppy love where you know it's not going to go anywhere. But at the time, it's what he has. And it's little, it's just those little moments. Maybe it doesn't even become a full-out relationship. It's just somebody that maybe he finds cute or admires or something of that nature.
1: Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting because one aspect of Minbari-hood, that we haven't necessarily seen a lot that we could explore in this episode with Veer, you know, being the Centauri representative, and and I don't know if you would just be like in a big building, like the you know the UN of Membari or wherever mm-hmm. he would be. But anyway, the worker cast, like we know what religious cast. I mean, Lanier, Delin, there's more than that, obviously. Right, but
2: Great Council. We see a lot of them.
1: We know the warrior cast with Nerun, yes. and and all those folk. But worker cast, we don't kind of get them like we get five seconds at the end of Babylon 5, and that's not much. It. And so what if he gets involved in the worker cast, and we get to learn what they're like?
2: Yes. Oh, I love this idea. This is right up Veer's alley. This makes a lot of sense, and maybe that is sort of what gets Veer going with helping out the Narns. Mm-hmm. Just maybe some sort of little message, uh, something a Minbari worker cast member says... I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. We don't have to delve into specifics because we're just pitching ideas. I got You've it. You've got it. Okay, go.
1: The girl he's pining over is a worker cast and the worker cast is very vague but that's like, i I think I'm very vague on my memory. I want to say like they're most of the population, but they're only... Anyway, it doesn't matter. But And so is very vague. You know, religious and warrior, everything's in between. So she could be doing anything. Right. So blah, blah, blah. He goes through some, learns more about her. And maybe she is sort of introduces him to Mimbari society. And so he's kind of starting to fall in love, fall in love, fall in love. And then she gets killed. Which I know, I know, feminist oh, theory. Man, I know, kill I'm her? killing a woman in order to make a man's story go forward. I know, it's it's tropish, But... Fine. She doesn't have to die. But something happens. Maybe she gets transferred. Maybe she gets she has an arranged marriage and she has to leave. Okay, we don't have
2: to Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do Minbari have arranged marriages? That would be a good thing to know, actually.
1: I don't know. I just made that up. Centauri do. Yes. So, but I don't know.
2: It, well, maybe they discussed that a little bit because we did see Veer's arranged marriage with Lindesty. We did. Even though we knew nothing right. about it at the time. Yeah. But maybe, ooh, maybe that's what causes him some turmoil because isn't his ambassadorship to minbar right before he meets lindesty
1: ah i think i'm very vague about it but i think so
2: i think so i think they even interact a little bit so maybe that little turmoil
1: Mm -hmm. but something traumatic should happen yeah and so that's where he, he he has to look into himself and again, okay, I know it's very, you know, make the woman, make the man move forward. I got it. I got it. It's, it's wrong. But so some better writing there, maybe. But anyway, but something traumatic has to happen for him to look inward and think, like, what should I be doing? What can I be doing? And then that gets him to the Narn.
2: Well, what if his Minbari love interest is maybe doing what little she can to help the Narn? And he just thinks, mm-hmm. I can do this and I can help and I can make it even bigger.
1: Ah, okay. And I think maybe a journey of self discovery because he's already. He's sympathetic to the Narn cause, but I think there's still a barrier about being sympathetic mm. and then actually doing something about it. And so he has to get that.
2: And she's the one who prompts him to take action. So she pushes him a little bit, and that's sort of what makes him plunge in. Just, you know, his interest in her as well as his desire to do something about it. That's the push, and then that's sort of how he gets involved. And then you can maybe tear them apart because he's being called back because of Linda Stee. He has to tell her why they're both heartbroken. The end. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor Veer.
1: Yes. Heartbroken. Yes. And I feel like in this episode, somehow there should be some sort of line, whether it's from her or whether maybe it's from a Narn Mm -hmm. refugee or something to veer about like asking him, how far would you go for what you believe in? And then like someone's like, Would would you kill in order to save a society? And he's like, No, I'm not a soldier. And like, no, no. Would you even kill one man if it meant that you could save a society, if you could save the galaxy? And he's like, I don't I'm not a killer. And then that's when we're foreshadowing what will happen with Kardasha.
2: Ooh, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. That sounds a al- I mean, Jakar is a deep narn. But I'm thinking, in general, that's a Minbari line.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think
2: that's going to come from his girl. Right. I love it. That's cool. So there's one episode idea right there. That's a great one. I thought somehow about maybe incorporating Lanier into this, because I love it when Lanier and Veer interact as the mm-hmm. assistants to the ambassadors at Babylon 5. We saw it a couple of times, but you know what? This doesn't really need it. No. So that's okay. All right.
1: That is my episode. What do you have?
2: Okay. I I kind of love to hate this idea, because part right. of me really wants to see it, and part of me uh, is just furious about the very thing, and that is in season five, when it is revealed that Sheridan and Lockley were once married.
1: Ah, uh, yes, yes. I was trying to forget that.
2: None of us knew anything about this, including his wife, Delenn. Hello. How do you not tell somebody that? I mean, she knew about Anna, but I mean, this was an idea that I think just came out of nowhere, but come Mm. on. This was one of, I think, the biggest mistakes. But if you're going to do it, we need more background. And you know what I want to see? I want to see what life was like for the two of these people in their marriage. What did they even see in each other?
1: I don't. They were
2: young, they were stupid and foolish, and I want to see the point where they decide to get a divorce just to feel good.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's where I'm at with it.
1: <laughs> the, the rise and fall of Sheridan Lockley.
2: I think it was a really rough three months. Yes. So, yeah, I just want to see like that scene where, like you know, Delenn is angry in bed, Sheridan's there, he's trying to make amends, and she's not having it, and she's just, what was that even like, John? And
0: so <laughs> then we flash
2: back to a very young John Sheridan and a young Elizabeth Lockley. And it, it's pretty horrible. And then we are very, very grateful when John says, yeah, that was a horrible mistake. The end. Yeah. And, and then life is really good for John and Delenn. And we can all move on. But I want to see that. I want to see that flashback of what that was even like, because I can't even envision it. Yeah, like I'm just so like appalled by the very idea. I mean, John and Delenn, I ship them hard, just for the record. Like, there's Janeway and Chakotay, and then right underneath
0: mm-hmm.
1: is
2: John and Delenn.
1: Uh-huh. I
2: mean, if there were two people more fated for each other, these guys are it.
1: I mean, I have a, I have a question. Uh, Yahoo? What is that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking love that scene so much. Uh, yes, yes. Poor John going through all those Membaria rituals.
1: Mm. There were,
2: what, 52 of them? I don't know. Something <laughs> but, like that. Yeah. And they save pleasure centers for something like 48. I mean, it's ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so that is not a huge concrete idea. But I just want to see like a two-minute little mini thing Watching uh, Bruce Boxleitner and Tracy Scoggins ham it up and do something kind of fun with it, and then we just see that moment, and then we can like that. that that's just it. That's it.
1: Okay, I I could get it.
2: Like just just and, and then the moral of a story is is just that that was a huge mistake. Cause yes, it was JMS. Yes, it was.
1: Right. So you're talking about all of season five, I assume.
2: A very good portion of it. Yes. <laughs> yes so do you have another idea on hand
1: i have a few so let me pick pick another one here here we go marcus training to be a ranger all of i mean because marcus is awesome so let's just period
2: i think there should be a mandatory like minimum of half an hour for the marcus webisode just so i can look at him right because i kind of dig him He's adorable. He's Well, he, adorable is not the right word. He's very handsome. And he's got the accent going for him. And as an American woman, I find that extraordinarily attractive. Yes, I do. You
1: got the long hair.
2: So I just want to sit there and drool. Mm. I don't care what he does. He can read the phone book for all I care.
1: He'll play with his stick. Or I mean, you know, his, his pike is what I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he can do that too. <laughs> Lest we forget he is a virgin. He had to be doing something.
1: <laughs> He did a lot of singing out loud, uh, we know.
2: Yeah, I am a very model of the modern major general. No, but that would be very interesting to see a young Marcus, Mm -hmm. very broken, I think, trying to find a cause. Because, I mean, at the heart of it, I think that was Marcus. He wanted something that was bigger than he was. That's why he gave his life to Ivanova. I don't know. When he found that opportunity for like the epic sacrifice, that was it. There was no stopping him. So I think he'd been looking for this the whole way through. And there's a a great backstory there of just horrible despair and ruining this poor guy that led him to that point.
1: Sure. And I think the journey from, you know, someone who faced loss to someone who has this sort of winning personality, who's joking, who's smiling, who's joyous to be around, even though he's also like a deadly fighter, warrior <laughs> and so like how does that journey happen you know how do you become that kind of joyous happy person you know spreading happiness across the station and space
2: and also maybe even you could maybe even go back a little bit further where what was marcus like before the you know what hit the fan
1: right and here's here if you want to figure out how you're going to draw people in there so you could e- obviously have delan cameos in this story you could have sure. sinclair Cameos because, you know, him on Mimbar.
2: Oh, sure. Absolutely. During
1: the ranger training before, uh-huh. before he left.
2: Ooh, idea. Would it not be interesting if Marcus gave Sinclair the scar that's on Sinclair's face
1: <laughs> when he comes
2: back for War Without End? Wouldn't that be great? Like
1: a little training accident or something or whatever. Yes, yeah. I Marcus
2: just it. got a little too excited, maybe.
1: Playing with his pike. Yeah, it happens. Especially, <laughs> with, especially when you're younger. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: All the time. That would be very cool. Plus, then we get some more background on the Rangers. Right. Which well, we marginally get. We know that they live for the one and they die for the one. But what is that? Re- like, how do you really weed out, I think, the people who are true, truly devout to that cause and then people just looking for something to do? Because you can't just be doing it for, you know, a paycheck. That's not happening. If you want to do that, enlist in Earth Force.
1: Just because the way you phrase that, I'm sort of picturing, uh, oh, and I'm, what is the Kubrick? film vietnam one
2: oh um apocalypse now
1: no well okay I, I did say that i'm probably picking the wrong director but the one with the boot the famous boot camp scene in the first part of the film where you know you have that famous marine gunny sergeant as the drill instructor mm. and uh that's killing me which one it is but anyway people know what i'm talking about probably. sorry i don't know um but anyway but so you could you basically see a ranger boot camp there's only two things that come from Mimbari Prime, and you know, I don't, um, and you just have to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can't see Sinclair doing that. I think <laughs> his training is much more, I don't know, quiet, but disciplined.
1: Well, I also would see it'd be interesting the human Mimbari relationships with the recruits because this would be near the beginning, yeah. Because that's uh, and and then how. Those were being forced – two cultures being forced together, especially – and I don't know if they're – the mimbari and this is – you may know this. I forget, and I will find this out when I'm watching, but whether the, the, the ranges are being drawn for a particular cast or whether it's all Minbari. Like, are they usually religious? Or are they warrior? Or whatever. But how that goes against humans, and then how they're recruiting humans to this cause. cause that's, you know.
2: that's a great question, is where are they finding these people? And to answer your question, I'm not sure if it's ever specifically – revealed if it's coming primarily from warrior cast or not in terms of minbari Mm -hmm. so there could be a lot of questions that we answer just by the very nature of this webisode
1: it's called young marcus birth of the rangers
2: that would be fantastic yes now speaking of marcus one idea that i did have was just kind of an introspective piece maybe not so much a webisode but maybe a short little short story a little ficlet if you will, not even quite a fanfic, just a little ficlet of Susan Ivanova's reflections, oh, let's say a year or two after Marcus died. Mm. Where was she at with that? Because we saw in Sleeping in Light that she was still carrying a lot of grief in her life, but not just for Marcus. I think she continued to lose important people that meant a lot to her in her life. And then eventually, of course, Sheridan's just the next one in line. And so... You know, Ivanova, she leaves Babylon 5. She's captain. She seems very lost. I'm sorry, mm. yes, Captain Ivanova. Where does she go? What does she do? How does she try to recuperate? Because she's not very good at this, even though she has lost a lot of people. I mean, we saw her not deal terribly well with the death of her father. And then brother. Right, and her brother, mm. and her mother. And so I, th- there's got to be a lot of inner dialogue there, a lot of angst. And so I would just love to get in Susan Ivanova's head and see, after a little bit of time to process, what is she thinking? What is she feeling? What is she doing about it?
1: Right. And I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm sure they do, and I'm just not remembering, like, whether she's assigned to a deep space mission or something. I can't remember if they say. But anyway, if she is on, like, an Explorer-class, you know, vessel, you know, captain of one of those or something out on the rim for, like, three years or something crazy like that, and then her journey... And like you said, you could take this at any point in the story, or you can sort of jump, you know, one day per whatever. Um, Because we know she becomes a general, which I don't know how you go from captain to general, but that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) One with you'd be an admiral, but blah, blah, blah. Um, But yes.
2: Yeah, but she didn't like it anyway. I mean, you're sitting behind a desk the whole time. That doesn't strike me as very Ivanova-ish, and you could tell she hated it.
1: Right. People point at her in parades. But no, I think that I think you're right. it would be even just a reflection, so yeah, an anniversary that she has to pauses to stop. maybe it is three years into the deep space mission, and she comes across something that reminds her of what the anniversary is of Marcus's death, and
0: yeah,
2: yeah, something reminds her of Marcus, or maybe it's just something that somebody said. I don't know, somebody looks like him and she thinks for a flash of a moment, oh, it's Marcus. And then she comes back to realize, oh, no, he's gone. Mm -hmm. Although, uh, I don't know, it would be interesting to maybe say specifically, maybe she did try to bury herself in her work, as usual, because that's kind of, I think, how she tries to deal with these things. But there does come a point where I think she has to take pause. And so what I would love is to see her kind of just get really fed up with herself. She can't take it anymore. And she decides to take three weeks off. And she goes back to Earth. She does what she says in one episode. Like Marcus asks her, if we survive the war, what do you want to do when this is all done? And she says, I want to go back to Earth and I want to go see Paris. I want to go to my father's grave. She says a couple of other things.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: She rents a B&B with a four-poster bed. And and a garden. (laughs) And everything is reminding her of Marcus. And so she cannot help but reflect and try to process and deal. And maybe that is actually how she somewhat overcomes her grief and comes to term with the fact that he gave his life for her. That's no small thing.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's the, I think that the hard part of the story, though I, I think I can maybe try and solve it, is that it can't be a happy ending because we know she's not happy 20 years later or whatever it is.
2: Right, it's true.
1: But maybe she's thinking about resigning from Earth Force and that's maybe, and she ends up staying because of duty and because of sacrifice and because of all that. And so then...
2: Right, I mean, what would Marcus want her to do?
1: Right. Be happy. Because
2: maybe she feels overwhelmed and doesn't feel like she can handle it anymore or maybe she's just tired uh, I feel like by sleeping in light, she's just going through the motions and she's lost again. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in this little story, maybe something needs to reinvigorate her just for a little while, just enough to keep going. But then she's just going to get kicked down again and again and again.
1: I could see then, depending on how you're writing it or even envisioning it, whether if it is a repetitive thing, if you're doing like a mini uh, story, that just this one incident and she you know goes through this whole thing and comes back. Or if you're doing some sort of like an anniversary journal entry. And so it's like, here's the anniversary at year one, year five, year 10 or whatever. And then it'd be interesting. Oh yeah. Interesting if the last entry is when she does become the head of the Rangers. And uh-huh. she, it maybe dedicates that to Marcus's memory, who was a Ranger who sacrificed for her. She is now the leader of that organization.
2: And instead of maybe that bogging her down, like, Oh, this is yet another reminder it's, I don't know, maybe it just ignites something again in her spirit.
1: A new beginning, yes.
2: <laughs> the, our B5 is full of new beginnings, rebirth. Mm-hmm. So now that this has kind of come out from my brain, I really want to write something like this. I'd love to get into Ivanova's head.
1: Babylon 5 needs like a New Voyages contest to like Star Trek has. So <laughs> submit your B5 stories.
2: Honestly, I've not checked yet, but people have got to be out there writing babylon 5 fanfic right even 20 Mm -hmm. years later i mean people are still writing voyager fanfic i know that for a fact so (laughs) maybe it's not too late maybe i get on this
1: yes no i agree i agree you definitely should and then we can act it out on on one of our shows
2: Ooh. all right all right that would be cool we could do an audio drama yes oh okay the ideas are percolating this is fantastic Well, have you got any other ideas that you want to throw out there into the ether?
1: Well, I do have a few ones of of sort of stories that went on. You know, what? I'm just going to list them all because I'm not going to use them, but I just wanted to throw them out there into the void. Okay, sure, do it. So, Lita with the Vorlons. You know, when she disappeared oh. and came back, we didn't. You know, what was that like? Of course, that's going to be hard because you're going to have to show a lot of Vorlon stuff, and really, you want to keep that mysterious. So, maybe right, you so to- you kind of can't. Right. But
2: wouldn't it be interesting if you could find some clever way to depict that, even for five minutes? <laughs> yes.
1: Um, this one's written Jakar in space. By that I mean the end of Babylon 5, but then we know you know, eventually he ends up in Centauri Prime choking Londa to death. But what happens with... Because he took Lita. That's right. He took Lita. Yes, he
2: took Lita. So, okay, this is the spin off show then, The Adventures yes. of Jakar and Lita.
1: Right. That's not what we're calling it. But yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Have you got a better title?
1: <laughs> um... The lizard and the teep. No, it doesn't work either. Um,
2: (laughs) No, but that's a great potential right there is just they go off and we don't really know what they do. Solve
1: mysteries. You don't
2: know what they're doing. They could be doing anything.
1: That's right. Um, Okay, that was a quick one. The Sinclair Valen storyline. So basically, you go to the very beginning. What's happening on Babylon 4 with Valen now?
2: Sure. There's
1: a whole series right there, buddy.
2: Probably. Probably.
1: And then the last one, the quick one before I go into my real one. Is David. We've never seen David.
2: Oh
0: my God.
1: Yes.
2: The elephant in the room. Okay. Yes. David Sheridan. This was going to be my last one. So, do you have any concrete? Okay. (laughs) I didn't know if you had any concrete ideas or not.
1: Well, okay. So they dangle, you know, because Londo sends the quote unquote present Mm -hmm. for David to open. Is it safe to assume it was defeated? Because we get, if you go the end of season four with old Dylan uh-huh. I feel like she would have said something like, hey, my son went crazy or something. You know, like, I don't know.
2: They mentioned, like, there was an incident with David Sheridan and that we can infer is related to Londo's little present.
1: Right. But I feel like maybe I'm misremembering that it turns out all right. Like, I don't remember.
2: No, I think it, I think it does.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Let's just say that it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well,
1: that's, that's what I'm saying. But so, like, I mean, at any point you can have – I don't know where you want to do the David story, you know, him trying to be a ranger or or the incident. I mean that would probably be, be the most attractive one when Lando he opens up the Lando gift, but I don't know. Any 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 anywhere in between. I
2: see a little bit of like a mini series sort of idea of this where there's so many gaps. I mean, we don't even really know um, like the circumstances under which David was born. You could do the birth story if you want to go for a complete like, you know, you could just go full out baby fic. You know, <laughs> if you really actually want to go there, you could do that because no no major character's birth is ever just normal. You don't go to whatever the Minbari hospital or birthing ritual is and give birth and everything's fine. No, there's got to be a story there.
1: I assume he was in a cocoon of some sort.
2: I have so many visions of Delenn giving birth to a cocoon right now. That's
0: <laughs>
1: weird.
2: Anyway... Poor John. What a surprise.
1: And then here's a question. Is David half human, half Mambari, or is he three-fourths human, one-fourth Mambari? Well,
2: I think genetically he kind of has to be, but I'm not a geneticist.
1: Right. Or he comes out looking like Jakar, and there's an- a lot of questions.
2: Oh, my. Jakar. I mean, I know he was a busy guy, but messing with a married woman <laughs> ain't right. I mean, I know he peeked in on their honeymoon, but that also
0: wasn't
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you could just start with that. You could do maybe the little thing on his early life, like what was David Sheridan like as a kid? You can do the reveal of the gift. Uh, You can have David Sheridan Mm -hmm. watching the little, I don't know, was it audio or video that John recorded in the next to last episode where he's talking, like he's giving David what little wisdom he has in life.
1: Oh, yeah. Very Jack Crushery.
2: Yeah, never start a fight and always finish it. We could see maybe some circumstance under which he watches that, gains inspiration, remembers his father. What does he think of his father? Why was David not around also when John Sheridan was coming to his last days? Uh, I mean, was he training with the Rangers at that point? Was that it, and he couldn't get away?
1: That was the excuse of why he couldn't come to the dinner, but it's kind of jerky for Sheridan to go off and die and be like, yeah,
2: but you think like there'd be, I don't know. Yeah, like could he not maybe if David can't get away, can John go to the ranger training camp and at least say goodbye to his son? I mean, what the hell here? I know the last episode was only 45 minutes, but this is family we're talking about. And it's a loving family union. So there's no dysfunction.
1: I think David will have daddy issues. I think David will be like J.J. Kirk. I think he's going to have serious daddy issues.
2: Really? You think? Uh no, I disagree. I think John and Delenn, they're both very loving parents. It's just they they have chaotic lives and just things happen all the freaking time.
1: Yeah, but look at the kids of successful people. They never, you know.
2: Uh yeah, I mean, you got a point there. You got a point. Maybe they're too busy for him.
1: I mean, look at uh look at Han and Leia's kid. That guy turned out to be a jerk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That would be an interesting thing to lay out, too, is just what is the family dynamic like? I obviously have the very Mary Sue edition where it's just, Uh oh, everything's pretty hunky-dory. Everything else is chaotic, but inside the home, we're solid.
0: Mm -hmm. Because that's what
2: my own life is like. (laughs) My (laughs) husband is my rock, and without that, I would be insane, even if everything else is out there. But maybe it's it's not so great and maybe that does cause some friction and maybe there is some tension between John and David and Delenn has to be the one making the peace. I don't know. You can explore that. Then you've got the gift. You've got the wisdom. You've got the ranger life uh, and all the danger that that ensues. What do you suppose David Sheridan eventually becomes? Because we never find that out.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to be a ranger, but that that's not necessarily everything.
2: Does he become the president of the or, or the Interstellar Alliance after a while?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would hope it wouldn't become a monarchy, you know?
2: Well, right. Maybe that's a very... Maybe he wants to, but it's a very unpopular opinion, kind of like Prince Charles, and nobody wants him to be king, you know?
1: <laughs> I think that's usually his mom's fault in that case.
2: <laughs> so you blame Delenn.
1: <laughs> well, uh, who also lives forever, just like the Queen. True, true. Yeah, I think David... I think David, because like in Legend, is that Legends of the Rangers? Am I making that up? That that no, was, no, that's
2: the real thing. Okay,
1: I want, why was David not in that? To me, that was like an obvious, right casting. Even though I remember not liking the main guy, but that may just be memory. <laughs> but yeah, and so I don't, I don't know. I I feel like a Ranger is not a full time life. No one retires in, as a ranger.
2: No, you usually get killed. I think yeah. before that happens.
1: So I don't know. And you know, and who's the enemy you're fighting?
2: Right. Well, I mean, we know we have a telepath war. There's the Drock war that's mentioned. Right. But aside from that, I mean, it seems like there are some growing pains with the alliance, but eventually they get pretty steady.
1: Mhm. without going to st- Star Wars, and, you know, making him sort of the Vader figure. I don't I know this is the purpose of of jump it here is to actually think of things. But I don't know. I think there's so many possibilities it's hard to grab onto just one. It's it's unlimited potential.
2: It's true. And honestly, I mean, if we were crafting this out, we could go point by point on the outline, but that's just not what we're doing today. So, yeah, there's so many directions. There's so many things that you could do. In a way, maybe I see David Sheridan as a tragic figure, mm. but I yeah, I'm having a hard time coming up with any circumstances that would justify a big character's death like that. And yes, I do think of him as a big character, even though we never saw him on screen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, so, I've, like, so those are all my quick lists. So this is my actual idea. And I say idea. It's like two sentences. OK. But as I said, Veer is who I was really thinking I would love to do an episode based just on Veer. And then I was thinking, you know, how am I going to do this? Where's the ways to go? And I know this is very cheating, but I was like, well, who can I buddy him with? Because, you know, you sort of have like the Lanier Londo story. You have sort of the Franklin Marcus on Mars buddy cop thing. So it's it's pretty yeah. cheap. I know. I got it. But I was thinking of someone who's unlikely, but someone who'd also be interesting to explore. And so here it is. And I'm thinking three or four that you could go later in this, season five if you really wanted to. Um, but I think things are getting too serious at that point, or concrete. And this is Veer and Zach Allen.
0: Oh, yeah! I love it!
1: I have two ideas. One, and again, it's kind of a stupid idea because I'm stealing it from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know episode <laughs> titles. Anything that's not Star Trek Next Generation of the original series, I just have to go Friends titles. But this would be... the The Buffy episode is the one where Xander has his own B-plot, but that's the whole story, is his B-plot is the whole story, and he intersects with the main plot, which we don't actually see what's going on, we just see the snippets of these epic scenes going on, but he's sort of on, like, mm. the B-plot is the main story, where he's just doing the stupid stuff, but, like, you know, he'll come into the scene, it's like, Buffy and Angela are having, like, no, don't do it, oh, I love you, and he's like, okay, and, you know, it's just all these different scenes, and so I'm almost picturing, like, Zack and Veer, have this little thing that they have to deal with, and like they end up coming into these scenes like every 10 minutes of like epic stuff going on, whether it's during the shadow war or whatever, but they still have to like <laughs> deal with their little stuff. And so it's sort of it's funny because what they're dealing with, their little problem their B plot, is seems very important, and that's the main driver. But it, every now and then they'll have these intersections with what's going on with these epic shadow stories or Mimbari Civil War or whatever. Um, and so right. that's an idea.
2: Yeah. Well, and actually, there's, like maybe a big shadow battle, mm-hmm. like maybe the very end of Season 3, Zaha Doom, where there are shadow vessels surrounding Babylon 5. Maybe Veer is kind of caught into a position where he's got to team up with Zack. Zack needs him for some reason, and they've got to make something happen. And what it, what it is, I, I'm not entirely sure, but it's extraordinary circumstances. Anything's possible. And so you see them going into town.
1: Yeah, I just like the idea that the main characters are doing main character stuff, but the secondary characters are, are always doing stuff. And so these secondary characters are dealing with, with like the really big problem, but it's a step below that no one else would have to time to deal with, but still is a big issue.
2: Yeah, and we always see like what Sheridan is doing. What is Ivanova doing? Uh, usually, what Garibaldi is doing. Well, what is Zach doing in the meantime? While Garibaldi's off doing his big epic thing, there we go. It's the lower decks of Babylon Five.
1: Exactly, which they did do the lower decks episode with the uh, two maintenance workers or whatever they were.
2: Oh, I love that episode. Yeah, Mac and Bo.
1: Yeah, the gay couple. And so it would be interesting. To, but so I, I guess I'm stealing that idea from Babylon Five itself. But it's these are with two characters who we don't necessarily get a lot of. I guess we get a decent amount of year, but we don't get a lot of Zach.
2: No, and we could use more. Right. And so pairing them together, uh, yeah, what does that look like? And I have a feeling they'd actually get along fairly well together, so that would be a lot of fun.
1: Mm -hmm. Because I think Zach is often confused as much as veer is of like what's going on i don't i just try to do the right thing like
2: what is really going on he knows only what he really needs to know to do his job he doesn't have the full breadth of the story like garibaldi does Mm -hmm. and he's not quite as like he doesn't have quite the ingenuity that garibaldi has he can't hack through all the security channels and find out because that's just that's garibaldi <laughs> you know meanwhile zach is in the dark and so that could be a lot of fun i love it
1: yeah both veer and and zach their compasses point the right way you know they're gonna do the right thing but yeah they're i, I wouldn't say they're not the brightest but it I, you, you could say that maybe with zach um but yes yeah, and so how do they deal with that and just trying to do right but stumbling through of how to do that
2: Yeah, and I don't know if it's necessarily that they're not intelligent. It's just they don't have access to the same information their superiors do. Mm -hmm. They don't know everything that's going on. What does that look like as they try to, I don't know, figure it out or at least do what they can within the bounds of what they do know? Because I I feel like that's a lot of us (laughs) in our lives, maybe at our jobs or just in general in life. So very relatable. Well, that, I think, is a really cool roundup of some story ideas. We didn't have to flesh them out. I love the idea of just kind of doing like a medley of various things, little ideas, little kernels of thought that maybe you can develop into later things and take them from there. Any fanfic writers, I don't know about you, Philip, but anything that I came up with, if you want to write it and then share it with us, by all means, I would love to see your work.
1: Yes, you can totally steal ideas, don't have to copyright or trademark anything. You can steal it, run with it, it's your idea.
2: Yeah, do it. Just let us know when it's available so we can read it, because I would love to know. All right, well, before we go... I want to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter. The handle is join nerd party on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash the nerd party. And of course go to our website, go to the and check out all of our shows. We have new stuff coming to you every single day of the week. We've got everything from Harry Potter to jump in it
0: <laughs> to
2: SETI alpha three, which is the f- show that you're on Philip with uh, Daniel and Darren to Star Wars and everything in between. Philip, why don't you let everybody know where everybody can contact you if they want to let you know their Babylon five story idea?
1: Sure. They can find me uh, in the Zocalo um, on Twitter, where my handle is NC Public Servant.
2: Fantastic. And you'll find me having a drink at Earhart's. My handle is Oh the Profanity.
1: Now, of course, the deal is if they contact you at Earhart's, they cannot talk official business.
2: Nope, because if they do, they will buy everybody there a round of drinks. So just be cautioned to that. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again, Philip, very much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. And I cannot wait until next time when it's either you or me or me and Tristan. One way or the other, we're going to punch it up.
1: Ready for warp, sir.
0: Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the Nerd Party.